So a guy walks into a bar and says, I want to make peace with the fact that one day I'm going to die. But I also don't want to fear death. I just want to be reminded to truly live and be grateful for everything that I have and can experience. The bartender looks at him and says, well, what does he say? One encounter, one opportunity. This is the Serve Conscious Podcast, the voice of the mindful service movement. Welcome to the show. So before we begin, I'm very excited to announce a new partnership between Serve Conscious and the Institute for Organizational Mindfulness. IOM is an amazing not-for-profit that is dedicated to bringing mindfulness into as many avenues of the industry landscape as possible. So they work with people and businesses to research, develop, and implement mindfulness programs that are most effective at up-leveling you know, the health, happiness, and capability of the workplace. And they also work with people like me to give their missions maximum impact and value to organizations that will need it the most. And what's in it for them? Well, a better world, of course, you know, greater awareness and compassion at the organizational level has quite a knock-on effect into society as a whole. And I'm really inspired to know that organizations like IOM are out there as catalysts for mindful living, revealing how easy and practical it is for anyone to incorporate. Really, guys, mindfulness is for everybody. Links to the Institute for Organizational Mindfulness are in the show notes. Hey, and while you're there, why don't you check out the links to the Facebook group, Inspired Hospitality and Service, as well as the ones for iTunes, where you can leave me a review and more people can find the show. Welcome to the show and to the continuation of the unexpectedly inspiring Hard Truths of Service series. This is Hard Truth number six. It's a juicy one. Are you ready? You're going to die. <laughs> There is so much you can do with this one without, you know, becoming fatalistic or just reckless and wild. Like, oh, you know, we're going to die, so I better have as many extreme experiences as possible and, you know, leave destruction in my wake. First of all, that's not serving. You're not serving yourself and you're certainly not serving others and your community. Serving as though you're going to die means appreciating and honoring the moment and the fact that you are alive and you are surrounded by life and all of the possibilities available to you when you notice and engage in the small wonders. So in the beginning of the show and right on the about page of my website in very large letters, you'll see the phrase, one encounter, one opportunity. This comes from a Japanese idiom, Ichigo Ichii. One encounter, one opportunity. It sounds a little severe. It sounds like something a really authoritarian manager would tell his sales team. You know, don't screw this up. You only have one chance. And in a sense, it means that. 
and in a sense, it is credited to an authoritarian figure. Li Naosuke, a 19th century daimyo that's like second in command to the shogun. You know, he's basically like a military leader of some sort. He knew that in the endless sort of clawing for power that defined feudal Japan, he had a feeling he was going to be assassinated soon. That's just what happened. You just got assassinated. You know, it's uh, (laughs) a rite of passage in a way. So he knew that every moment spent could be his last. So he was sure to honor those moments. And how did he do this? Why, with my old friend tea ceremony. He was a devout practitioner of Chado, the way of tea. That's what it translates to in Japan. I just had a conversation with Wuda, a Taiwan based tea monk who gets into all of the dimensions of this in that episode, episode 40, I believe. I'll provide a link in the show notes if you want to listen back to that. But basically, for Li Naosuke, his means of reconciling with the fact that life for him was short and you know, for everyone, technically, it is short. You know, just shorter for him. He was assassinated at the age of 45. He was expecting that. He reconciled with the impermanence of life. Not by running around, having wild romances, indulging his senses, just experiencing, you know, pleasure in a loud, gregarious sort of way. Which, of course, if that's your vehicle, go for it. But he brought his attention inward and outward. So inward would be that meditative approach to Jado of serving tea mindfully, of drinking tea mindfully, of noticing the finer nuances of life in that moment. And then outward into sharing that moment with another. A simple moment that seems... You know, every day, what could be more humble than just sitting down and having tea with someone? But, but with tea ceremony, with that really mindful, reverent intent that's just overflowing with a sense of gratitude for what is, a sense of abundance in something as small as having some tea with someone. That was his way of honoring what little life he had left, of not seeking its most heightened states, but finding the same level of pleasure, plus a deeper sense of fulfillment and satisfaction in the simplest of moments. And most notably, not just thinking about himself and what he alone was going to squeeze out of the nectar of life. He was serving. He was working to invite as many people as possible, as could sit with him, to that same place of joy and reverence and gratitude for the moment. He was making his experience a shared one. And that is service, and that is why I look to tea ceremony as such an incredible prototype for 
mindful service of taking these principles into any domain where you are serving professionally because you're not just scratching an itch. You're not just providing someone with, you know, whatever they need on a really basic level, even though that's very important. You are also participating with them in the now. (laughs) You are hosting the now and you are hoping to invite them to their natural ability to enjoy the now. And don't worry, I'm not saying you're, like, responsible for waking people up to this. Like, you're not going to radar jam someone's conversation with, like, how can you guys worry about your mortgages right now? Look at how glorious the sunrise is outside. It's so wonderful to be alive. Like, (laughs) this is not, like, take off your shirt and run around in a field and hope people follow you. No. This is simply being an example of someone who has presence and gratitude. And when you are, it creates an invitation, a subtle one, one that people don't feel the need to rebel against because you're not rejecting their priorities. You know, like you would be if you did something like minimize their concerns because they don't care about how absolutely miraculous it is that we can breathe and perceive the world. Okay, that's not... (laughs) That's so obnoxious. And it's not gonna do anything but alienate you from people. What I'm talking about here is a matter of understanding and managing where you put your attention. Are you putting your attention on everything that is wrong with the world and your life and your present situation? And that moment, or are you putting your attention on that which is positive, valuable, worthwhile, of integrity? Are you simply seeking to identify flaws, or are you seeking possibilities for greater appreciation and enjoyment of the moment? So this is an inner game. Everything is. That's what I'm always talking about with the serve conscious mission is you are developing a more aware and constructive relationship with yourself from the inside out. And that will naturally lead to a better experience of the work you're doing and, of course, your entire life in general. The work you're doing is simply just a crucible for how you do everything else. And if you find yourself forgetting to do this, and defaulting back to your usual state of faulting, (laughs) the fault-finding mentality, which is fine. We're designed to do that. It is a survival skill to look for danger. But generally, there isn't danger. There's just things that are inconvenient to some picture we've created of the world and how it's supposed to be. There is so much more possibility for success and happiness in looking for aspects of life that are in fact good rather than inconvenient. And to get back on track with this, simply remind yourself that you're going to (laughs) die. It's really that simple. I mean, think about this. People that have brushed death or even experienced the beginnings of the death process before coming back to a stable state of 
vitality usually re-enter the world with a profound shift in their state of consciousness. They are going to appreciate what they have. The overwhelming abundance of good things in their life, of things that deserve our reverence and gratitude. Imagine yourself driving off a cliff into a lake and then waking up in a hospital and saying, oh my God, I'm still here. What are my priorities, really? <laughs> and if you were a Buddhist monk, they'd make you do this. Uh, I remember having uh, Corey Hardiker on the show, and he told me about death meditations. I actually didn't know that only monks did death meditations. They're generally not for householders, and I can see why. They're terrifying. No one wants to acknowledge that their body is going to decay into nothing at some point. To really acknowledge that is too much for most people. And yet, even though they are so terrified of death, they aren't willing to make the proper preparations for it such that it will be less terrifying. How do you make death less terrifying? By living life with more gratitude because then you don't approach death worrying that you haven't had your priorities straight, that you haven't truly lived and engaged with the juice of being alive. And engaging with the juice is, once again, not some rock and roll idea of living hedonistically. It is loving what you already have, right in front of you in any given moment. And by have, I don't necessarily mean physically own, because a lot of the times you're not going to be in situations where you physically own anything. So if you're only grateful for what you own, then you're missing out on opportunities to be grateful for everything else around you that isn't technically, legally, on paper, yours. Ownership's irrelevant, and even in situations where all you really own is your physical body, you can take ownership of the situation, meaning you can cultivate a belonging to it and say, this is a part of me, and I am a part of it. It's sacred and precious. This moment and this opportunity for me to connect with all that is good about this experience. That belongs to me. So you gotta switch things around, really. To truly live and overcome any dread about death, you need to take ownership of what's not legally yours, and then you need to surrender any sense of ownership of what is legally yours. That doesn't mean give it all away, or let someone steal it, or pillage your existence. No, it just means surrender your attachment to it, your fear of losing it because it doesn't define you and your happiness. It's just providing you with a little bit of security, a little bit of a waypoint in this temporary life that you have, but you don't really need it. So as you can see, Honoring the moment is taking ownership of the moment, feeling belonging 
to the moment rather than isolation from it, but also it's not needing it and not needing to feel like you have possession of any of it. It's ownership and belonging as in you have relevance to it. It is pretty common for us to not feel like we belong somewhere because we're not worthwhile to the situation. Like no one notices me, no one cares about me. Perhaps you're a server and you're serving a large table and no one's talking to you. They're just talking amongst themselves. No one's looking at you. No one's engaging you at all. It's just as though you're not really there, but you are. You're there subtly for them, creating a solid container, a safe place for them to just unwind and be themselves for each other. They don't owe you a performance. They're there for each other. And you're also making sure all of their needs are met. And often that doesn't require much communication. So great. You can get more done with less energy invested. Celebrate that. And also, really, who are you showing up for? Like in any given moment, you are relevant because you're showing up for yourself, right? So the relevance of that moment is how you are being and practicing as the person that you want to be. That's how you take ownership. That's how you have gratitude, especially in situations where this is not made particularly easy. Because, you know, it's easy to have gratitude when something is obviously great, when something is just shimmering with inspiring qualities. But to always embody gratitude requires a warrior's resolve because the circumstances are not necessarily going to be so inviting. In fact, people might be rude, unfriendly, condescending, and frustrating in general. And you're supposed to have gratitude for this? Yes, of course, because once again, what is the relevance in that situation to you? How are you relevant in that situation? as someone that is cultivating themselves, as someone that is becoming shaped and forged into someone stronger, more resilient, more self-understanding, more understanding of others, more able to be compassionate in challenging situations. That's what you are. That's what you're capable of. And that is the relevance of the situation. That's how it belongs to you. Not in the sense of, like, you need to take possession of it. You need to take control of it. No, it belongs to you insofar as you're capable of connecting to the parts that are relevant to your own growth and development as a person. And those parts are always there. There is always a reason to take ownership. There is always a reason to have gratitude for what taking ownership provides, what engaging in the opportunity of that moment can give you. There's always something there. One encounter, one opportunity, that means every possible encounter is an opportunity. There's none that are, are not a good opportunity. Like, no, forget that. Wait for the next opportunity. <laughs> no, they're all, they're all good. They're all shimmering. They're just not obviously doing so. 
All right, here's how to engage in the situation. I don't think I've given you uh, a technique like this on the podcast before. Um, a rough idea of it is in the practices section of the serveconscious.com domain. It is the thank you technique. And doing it might sound like really stupid at first because you might just be conjuring that, you know, subservient meek, sniveling little server that you hate feeling like, but in fact it has the opposite effect. This technique involves saying thank you for things internally. You're literally just thanking it. You know, picture like you're bowing and saying thank you, almost. And again, this is not like, please sir, may I have another obsequiousness. This is an engine that burns your experiences into fuel that is useful because it aligns your thinking into the value of the situation. So someone's going to be rude or obnoxious or inconsiderate in some way. Internally, you're going to say thank you for the opportunity. To do what? To learn about yourself, to learn how to show up when the going gets tough, to learn what aspects of you are resisting that and making it mean something really personal, like you're being attacked, which is absolutely just a mental construction. It's not actually happening like that if you are in an empowered place, if you are serving with the warrior spirit. It's something they're doing. It's something they're doing to themselves. It's programming they're perpetuating by being rude and condescending. That's for them to resolve, not for you. All you need to resolve is your own reaction to it. And it's a wonderful opportunity. Thank you for the opportunity to have a look at this aspect of myself and develop some resilience. So as you can see, it brings your attention into what's valuable and it burns it into fuel that will fire you. So start saying thank you. Say thank you for everything. Internally, obviously. You say it externally, that'll seem kind of... Uh, <laughs> It'll seem sarcastic and confrontational in a way. Like, thank you. <laughs> that sounds great, actually. But uh, don't do that. Say it to yourself. They don't need to know your gratitude. All they need to do is experience your gratitude. And that is more likely to penetrate whatever walls they have up that are causing them to behave that way towards you. And to hurry along the conversion process of these uncomfortable experiences into useful things, into fuel, you can, as quickly as you can align your thinking to this, look at how your experience can be used to help others. Or just begin to do that as a habit. Begin to take any of your difficult experiences and use them to help others, to support them to help give them or invite them to their own self-understanding. That's what fully burns something into fuel, very cleanly. Aubrey Marcus said this, cleanest burning fuel is to take your challenging experiences and use them to help others. And by burning fuel, it means it has burned up its weight that it has on you, its toll that it takes. You are lifting the burden that it bears on you. Because now it's been resolved. It's been turned into something useful. It doesn't have to weigh on you. That's the power of gratitude. It allows you to see 
what's valuable about things, and it resolves what would normally weigh on you. It gives it closure and puts it in your hands to action in valuable ways. Whoa. All right. I think that about covers it today. I'm sure I've uh, single-handedly snuffed your fear of death. (laughs) Uh, But perhaps I've reminded you to look at the temporary place we have on this earth as a wonderful opportunity to really live. That's what it comes down to. Every opportunity is an opportunity to really live. So say yes to it and be thankful for everything happening to you. All right. Thanks for listening. Check out the website, www.serveconscious.com for more free content. And please, I would feel a high-powered amount of gratitude if you went and gave me a five-star or whatever is your honest opinion review on iTunes uh, with some written commentary would be really helpful to me, people finding the show and me getting an idea of what you think, as well as going and joining my Facebook group so I can chat with you and hear about your trials and tribulations in the realms of service. How can I be of service to you? Let me know. All right. Talk to you soon. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye.